0: Hello and welcome to Carl's interviews in podcast form. This is an audio extraction of the live interviews that I've conducted with some absolutely fantastic guests from all walks of life with a common theme. Have been truly inspiring, and I cannot wait for you to hear their story. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another of Carl's interviews. Today we're joined by GB athlete and fantastic athletics ambassador, Martin Rooney. Martin and I actually had a really good talk offline, trying to exchange different stories of some of the athletes we knew that he'd trained with. I successfully managed to add a year to his age and insult Scousers within that chat so I did particularly well. But Martin, obviously one of the things I like to do is kind of go through the entire journey with people and we speak about their different experiences during the athletics career and particularly where you're concerned, really interested in that, but also kind of what's next with Loughborough et al. Um, So to start then, talk to me about your intro into athletics. Some people stumble into it, some are kind of introduced um what was your story
1: um yeah i was uh, i was very fortunate um at the primary school i went to sport was a big thing um and i had a, a primary school teacher she wasn't she didn't teach me but she encouraged everybody to get involved in athletics and it turns out uh mrs berkeley was a an international triple jumper she went to the commonwealths herself oh, wow. um so like she she had pedigree in it and she understood yeah. like uh, she went for i think it was a long jump actually yeah, sorry the long jump I found a video of it on YouTube recently but like having someone like that when you're very young just being like right go join your athletics club just uh, get involved and um, you've obviously got some kind of ability in sport play football basketball whatever you want to do but um, make sure you get down to that athletics club and um, I've been a Quaid and Harry ever since It's um, I was lucky to join a group of, with a coach who's quite eccentric um, made things quite fun for young kids and Kept me coming. Um, I, was, I was going to the track twice a week and I was jumping in with the cross countries and the track sessions. It was always just
0: um, just something I was lucky to do uh, to have at a very young age. It's, what I've seen, I mean, I've got kids myself, same as you, and I think if they get the right role models when they are younger, I think it makes such a difference, doesn't it? If they get mm-hmm. that encouragement, but they're taught the sport can be fun and not just it's got to be about performance or outcome and results. 100, percent. and I, I had perfect role models. I, I had a, a cousin who was uh,
1: uh, an international footballer at, at age group level uh, for the Republic of Ireland, and it was always like, if he can make it, then why can't I make it? And Donna Fraser, who came forth in the Sydney Games in the 400, like she grew up the road behind me. Like to see somebody in your club, and she was always going back and doing the awards dinners and stuff. She was always there, like to so to have those people around me at a young age, just to like go. Like it's not impossible, I think um the kids of today probably have more of that now because they've got social media and they can just they can see people from their area and they'll have thousands of followers and they'll be like, "Oh okay, I want to get to that level and um I think back when I was younger, I was just one of the fortunate people to have those those people around me.
0: I think definitely with Donna as well. It's um, I've been lucky enough to have her on here, but mm. I'd probably say at least half a dozen different guests have made reference to Donna either the mentoring, yeah. the support, the example she's led, and I think is what a fantastic ambassador for the sport still to this Huge. day. Huge. Um, still, I still love seeing her when she comes down and there's a big smile on her face,
1: and she's always there as someone trying to, to encourage people, always ready at the end of the phone if you need her. Um, and she's pushing um, equality as much as possible, yeah. and it's just it's, she's a positive influence in this sport, and you've got to hold on to those people.
0: I'm still hoping as well because um, I've done a lot of fundraising with breast cancer, and she's an ambassador for them. We've we'll mm-hmm. we're going to try and do some sort of event together. But okay. um, I'm waiting for her to continue getting a little bit older, just to give me half a chance of doing something at her level. <laughs> oh, no, she'll always be
1: donor of the legs.
0: She'll always be able yes. to stride away from everyone. <laughs> she was a
1: yeah, what what an athlete in her day.
0: So and I mean, like that you didn't actually start with 400. You started kind of more middle distance, and almost <laughs> it was kind of you fell upon the 400 just by chance. yeah,
1: yeah like one of the things that we did at, at Croydon and at my secondary school, the John Fisher School in Purley they basically like made you do everything. There was never a thing of, oh, you're just a, a, like, I went to a rugby school, but you were never just a rugby boy. Like, it was like, you, I did cross country. I, I played cricket. I did athletics. Um, and, Quoting Harry's, they made it as part of, like, you try every event to get points to the team. And, Along the way, you might find something that you're really good at. Uh, yeah. So I was quite lucky. Like I did a lot of cross country, a lot of middle distance running, but I also did the sports hall athletics um, at a young age. And I got to go compete for Surrey quite a bit at, um, at cross country and at athletics, indoor athletics and stuff. So I was, uh, <laughs> the opportunities were always there for me. I was, I'm one, I've, I've got zero complaints, <laughs> you know, like I've always, um, not everybody has the opportunities I had at a young age. And, um, and I, like, I didn't, I wasn't, um, it's weird like i didn't go in from like a private school background or anything but i still had because of the community i was in we had those opportunities that maybe not everybody else has
0: yeah Uh, do you think as well because obviously um people kind of either find their way into the 400 by stepping up from the shorter sprints but do you think stepping down a bit helps you with that endurance or is 400 just disgusting no matter what way you enter i know
1: it was easy (laughs) at that age i could do with running some of the times this year that i'd run when i was 17 years old it was just like <laughs> i remember my i ran a couple of fours for the club and i think i, I went like 49 seconds and down to 48 seconds and i was down to 47 in like two races three races yes. and it was just like oh this is easy like and then i was like i was going to the south of England. So i won the south of england straight away and i was like what have you guys been doing? Like <laughs> I, I basically, I'd, I had to use blocks at the South of England. So I wasn't allowed to do it uh, from a standing start. So yeah, it was like the first time I'd had to do it. And yeah, it was an amazing, like to find a, an event like the 800 is horrible. That's the hardest event in track and field. I don't, people talk about the four hurdles. They talk about the 400, but the 800, uh, the quicker you get, the harder it is as well. Cause it's, yeah. you start running 40, you basically sprinting for two laps. Um, I'd love to have had to go in these bouncy shoes, but um, I think that's only going to give me a second. And I need it probably about five or six. <laughs> but it's uh, no, the, the stepping down to four hundred, one lap. You, you can just play. Like I, I, bas- I remember my first couple of races and literally jogging for two hundred meters and then sprinting for two hundred meters, and it it kind of worked. So um, yeah, it's uh, I, I think in. The way I'm trying to get young athletes to do it now is they step up from the 200 to the 400, and I think sometimes that's more mentally. Like uh, it's, it's physically, it's, I don't think it's any different. If you're a very good 200 meter runner, you can yeah. be a very good 400 runner. But uh, mentally, it's it's just more concentration. It's uh, accepting that it's going to hurt for a bit longer and things like that. Um, uh, and people, hopefully in the UK, they'll start doing it.
0: And Obviously, you say you're talking about jogging two hundred. Did it help being nearly two metres tall that you're jogging and striding uh, a bit longer than most? Yeah, it probably did. I think um, <laughs> I wasn't your uh, archetypical
1: of the type uh, of a four hundred metre, and I think uh, I stood out by a lot, uh, quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I was basically a beanpole uh, yeah. with baggy shorts on and uh, <laughs> and uh, a baggy vest that fell off my shoulder. Yeah, uh, and I, yeah, it was just different. I think. Um, it was so, f- obviously, when you're, you're doing athletics at a young age, you run PBs a lot. Yeah, of course. But, like, I, I kind of went from being, like, a county-level 800-meter runner to British number one in the 400 uh, as a junior, and I was literally just trying the event out. So it was a, it was a, it was a really fun time to be a young athlete.
0: Uh, what about, because I'm sure I remember either seeing or hearing an interview that it, it took you a while to actually find some good running form in terms of your technique. And actually, it was just kind of that speed and speed endurance to start.
1: Yeah, like um, to be honest, I only really learned how to sprint till when I was 27. It's quite long. Like, I think um, it's probably something that in the UK coaching system, it was probably something that wasn't pushed upon at a young age. It was just about getting fit and getting fast. And you just basically held your bed, body together as best you could. Um, but then uh, I worked with an American coach, uh, Rainer Ryder, and he basically just taught me how to sprint. And uh, it, it definitely had a, a positive impact on. Well, I won some championships with him, so it was quite good. But it's not taken away from what I, I ran very fast with without learning how to sprint. If you know what I mean
0: beforehand. So um, yeah, I don't want to slam the British coaches. <laughs> No, but, but I find it interesting because obviously for, from a novice perspective looking at it you don't realise the difference things like that make and um, Adam mm-hmm. Jamili was saying the same that he was running good times and then his coach said to him listen you run like a footballer Let, let's practice and work <laughs> on your actual technique and he said that was when it then started actually really yeah. honing it was make, shaving those tents off that really make the difference I suppose at that level
1: yeah I think probably all the comparisons to Kyle Walker for Adam as well like yes. probably annoyed him so sorted his technique out a bit more uh, Adams with Rainer Ryder, the coach that I, um, I he taught me how to sprint, and mm-hmm. um, I think it, it's just it's not actually how much faster you run; it's just how the the frequency of injuries starts to drop down. Yeah, because you're being taught how to run properly, and your body using your muscles and using your 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 form is better. You start to function properly and more efficiently, and I think that's where Adam now is. He's at a point where he can. I really i am excited for him for the next couple of weeks. I think he's going to get better every every week now. And, um, yeah, like, he, he just looks like more of a complete athlete uh, to me. But hopefully we'll see. The proof is in the pudding.
0: And I suppose coming on to Tokyo briefly, you've got um, a bit of an old hat Olympics. So what are people going to be going through, especially those for the it's their first Olympics? What are they mm-hmm. thinking about now? What do you reckon is the best advice for them if they were listening? Um. I think it's just to take
1: it, um, it's still the Olympic Games. The fact that it's not going to be huge crowds. And to be honest, Rio was such a poor game. So like I, I walked out into the stadium in my heats in Rio and there was fake crowd noise. Um, so it, it just happens, you know, and I wasn't prepared for it. Whereas these guys have the prepar- preparation for it. They, they know what's going to happen. They're not going to have fans. But they just gotta go out there and perform to the best of their ability. It's still gonna it's still the Olympic Games, it's still the same Olympic medals, it's still the same thing. It's just it's behind closed doors, there'll be British fans supporting the British athletes, watching it through the night, making sure they do really well. And um I'll be there with them at home watching it and enjoying it from uh from the BBC.
0: And it, in terms of what kind of, something else I'm interested to talk about is you have all that, the build-up to it, the energy, the excitement, mm-hmm. obviously the nation get behind, and it's slightly unusual this time because of how the country are doing um, in the Euros as well. And mm-hmm. Obviously, being a Palace fan, you're not really into football, so we won't talk about that. No, but. <laughs> generally not. <laughs> Palace has ruined me. <laughs> but just want to, what's it like after the Olympics, after you've been out there mm-hmm. and done that? How does it feel then, is it...? Is it anticlimactic? Is it a bit strange? Is it purely then how you do?
1: Um, it can be on how you do. I think uh, Holly Bradshaw's done a study on it um, as part of her masters. Maybe um, it's called the Post Olympic Blues, hmm. and I think this one will be. I don't know if it'll be the same because I feel that it's it's three years to the next games. So it's quite close. Yeah, it's it's a short turnaround, and I feel that. Um, it, there is always going to be a come down because it's the pinnacle of your sport this is what you've dreamed for, and you've seen it for this week and the last two weeks I think a lot of British athletes who've now made the games they're on a massive high they've had to come down and they're going to have to go straight back up again and um, that's the big learning curve they have to like re get get that hunger back I suppose and um, go into those games knowing that there is opportunities because pe- people might not perform because it doesn't feel like the same games that they used to um, so British athletes who haven't been to this, haven't, they just they haven't got the experience, or whatever. Just go in there and try to beat people, and you never know what happens so.
0: And for you, and obviously you were, to, I was watching it online the trials, but you were there. Who's on, mm-hmm. your one to watch, or one or two people to watch? Do you think?
1: Uh, I, I love British middle distance running at the moment. is is fantastic to watch. It's phenomenal, a, isn't it? It's just as a fact. Like I'm a huge 1500 meter fan. I think. Um, Men's fifteen hundred for me um, over the last couple of years has been just really exciting to watch, and now the and the women are just so fast. It's just like yeah. those two. The, the fifteen hundred for me is, is my favourite event to watch, I suppose. Um, so I hope to see the British the British athletes do well. Uh, I'd like to see three people in the final for both, um, and I uh, definitely in the men. That's more, they've done it in Doha, so it's not it's not out of their the realms of possibilities. And the women's eight hundred, unreal. Um, so much young talent there and the yeah. men's 800 got like the first three who made the team like it's just a, it's a really exciting event to be part of and, well not to be part of but to to, to witness and um, you can watch the the stories develop and I think we'll, the other thing about the, the Moodle Distance runners in the UK have made the team they're all great people yeah. so it's very easy to get behind them it's very exciting to like follow their journeys and um, I really hope that they can go, uh, making finals at this time will be an amazing thing and sneaking a medal, there's definitely opportunities for, for all our middle-distance runners.
0: It's one of those things, and I've said this before to those that are- been to olympics those prepping for them and even i've got a couple of guests coming up who didn't make it this year but were really close and it, mm-hmm. just to even get to the olympics must be absolutely incredible because you're then the best of your country competing in the best of the world aren't you and i think again from an outsider we forget sometimes that just to even be an olympian is yeah. an absolutely incredible feat it's huge
1: it's huge and it's one of the things i uh, used to argue quite a lot uh, with our former a performance director, someone who was who was a mentor to me, and we we got on very well. And um, but we used to argue about what it meant to be an Olympian. Um, to me, like so, UK sport had had a view that like is all about medals, nothing else mattered, and that's the pressure he was under as a, as a performance director. But for me, it was like what it means to someone's community for an Olymp- someone to become an Olympian. So. Croydon Harriers. When I became an Olympian, like they'd had lots of Olympians in the past, but it was still huge. It was still a massive thing for the Croy- for the for the school, for my for my parents, for my family members, like, family members coming out of the woodworks because I was an Olympian. But <laughs> that's what we, we sometimes forget when it's all about performance. It's like how much it means to to the to the local council. Like, so if the council sees a, a local girl or guy making the team. They might invest a little bit more in sport, and then that's for the the great grander scheme of things. Like, if that means more people take up the sport, park run becomes more successful in that area because of that one one person making the Olympics, and that's an amazing thing. And um I, I've got a friend, uh, uh Megan Beasley, who's this. She's this is her last year, and she's finally made the Olympic Games. And I don't think she really. Realised how much it would mean to her until she actually she she got second at the trials and she's like, "Yeah, and my training t- partner Jess Turner in the same event." Like, you can see how excited they are about it and how proud of themselves they are for making the team.
0: And you said obviously previously we were really focused on medals. Do you think that culture has shifted enough, or we've still got a way to go? It's
1: performance sport. I think um, I'm not against pro medals. I know UK sport have a new thing where. It's about the welfare, and that's obviously important. Um, but I do feel like uh, we're judged on how well we do, and it's yeah. be it football, rugby, whatever. We're in an entertainment business, and you, people want to be entertained by high high performance. So, um, yeah, that's people are funded. We're funded to do a job to the best of our ability. We're not funded just to smile and wave to the camera and come last. You know, the, the, there has to be accountability and acceptance that we're there to do as best we can.
0: I knew before we spoke I'd get pragmatic answers and also um, <laughs> but it's fair answers as well and that that's sometimes what you need because it's you can talk to some people and you, you almost get you feel like the party line whereas it's really yeah. nice I've seen it with interviews before as well you just you tell out how it is and it's quite refreshing and I expect for the young athletes you deal with there must be a real privilege for them to have someone being obviously motivational but also being honest with them about how things are and what to expect. Well,
1: I don't think the athletes actually I work with know who I am like they've just seen me running rubbish on t v <laughs> recently and they're like oh, who's this who's this guy um no i, I think one of the, the advice I give to a lot of young athletes is just to be honest i think um it, in every part of their life it's just to be honest, so when I do an interview, I'm telling you how I feel, I'm not telling b s because it's kinda like people can read that people understand it, they get it like um a lot of people can see through it. So if you're just being honest, then people maybe relate to you better, and they may understand you, and you can build a rapport. And especially now in this era of social media, where young athletes, um, for them to have a financial backing, they need to have a big, uh, like big social media following. So uh, I don't know. I don't. Really, I don't really like the whole me- Instagram thing. Like it's 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 fake, <laughs> and that's probably why I'm not very good at it. <laughs> but I think just being honest uh, that being an interview, being honest, but it's also being honest with how you are as an athlete. I don't want to get too far away from what you were talking about before, but if you're not honest as a, as a 400 meter runner, you'll get found out when it comes to the season because you're not fit enough. You might be kidding yourself all winter that you're doing all the right training and all this. And then it comes to it and you're like, "I'm four seconds slower than I thought I was going to be. And it's, that's, uh, that has to, you have to be honest with yourself. Like i I've not ran well this year and I've, I've had to go back and go, well, what have I done wrong? And if you have that honest approach to things, you can see things quite quickly. You don't have to be searching. You're not trying to solve a Rubik's cube. You're literally going, "Oh, well, that was rubbish. This was poor. I didn't do that right." And it, it's it's easily solved. Uh, unfortunately for me, it's just going to be way too late. But it's uh, it's uh, it helps me deal with the situation.
0: Uh, and that is something I want to get on to shortly. But um, mm-hmm. something interesting you just point out there and in Terms of your honesty about your running, it's something again that is quite unique about you, I'd argue. That and it's you did a news article a couple of years ago when we had the mixed relay and they had you as the anchor leg, but mm-hmm. being fair, you weren't the quickest man that could have been running that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but there's not many people actually, I suppose, have the confidence or humility to say, Well, that shouldn't have been me, they were quicker and faster. What made you decide you had to come up and say that? Um
1: well, I, I think it was pretty obvious. <laughs> I was only stating the obvious. So I was like, um, i ran okay in the heat, but not great. Um, and I felt that um, there was other people on the team who would have done a better job. But um, for some reason or another, they didn't want to do the relay, uh, the mixed relay, because they felt it would affect their individual performance. Whereas I've always, is the kind of thing I wish I'd have had at the start of my career, I feel like um, if you're a fit, strong athlete who's coached well, <laughs> the mixed relay is a great opportunity for you to have a good championships. Uh, in Doha, the, the stats were that the, all the British people who did the mixed relay ran the season's best in the individual afterwards. So okay. it sets you up for the event. And, and that was the way I was, I was frustrated. I was like, well, I shouldn't be in this team. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do. And I'll put my, my heart on the line and I gave everything yeah. to it. But if there was somebody else who's coming better then it, I'm happy to sit off on the sideline and be like, okay, cool. I can, I can help you through that process. I'll be the, your biggest cheerleader. And I yeah. think um, that's what I found frustrating in that, at that championships. And um, I think hopefully over the next couple of years, we'll have people who are just like, well, whatever's best for the team. And I think the four by one has been a perfect example of that. Adam yes. uh, maybe talked to you about it where they've kind of, there's a lot of big egos in that team. But when it comes to the relay they come together they all want to do well individually there's no doubt that's course, their focus so as soon as they come together for that relay they're on that they're uh, they are one team it's what gareth southgate seems to have done in the england team it's like they're there for the team and not winning and winning the world champs is what they wanted to do and that's what they did because they were willing to put their egos aside and do what's best for the, for everybody else
0: and talk about that race and obviously if you can't mention the individual concern but I'm looking at people like obviously Matt Hudson-Smith who was running really quickly so was his lack of involvement because he didn't want to be a part of it or because the team wanted you to be the anchor leg I think specifically
1: with Matt I think him and his coach had a a plan that they weren't willing to deviate from Um, I think now that would change Um, I think because they understand it maybe more uh, yeah uh, but I, I think Matt Called out injured anyway I think He knew he was injured And he didn't, tell anybody, he didn't tell us anyway Maybe British Reflex knew And that's why I ran But Yeah um, uh, I think he There's uh, I think there's an understanding now That If you want to do well One You can win a medal in it Your Olympic medal Doesn't say Like It's not a different colour To the gold medal From another event Or yeah. When you go to rowing Everyone's in the same team And it's like The medal's exactly the same Um it's exactly the same as a four by four, so don't. don't um, it's no different, and I think that people understand that as a good opportunity to win a medal, and if they do it right, it will help the the main event.
0: It worked for Alison Felix, didn't it? She certainly took it up and looked at it that way. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, NASA, um,
1: the Bahrainian girl who won the four hundred. She did five races. The fifth race was her four hundred meter final, and she ran forty eight, whatever, forty eight three or something <laughs> ridiculous. Um, <laughs> And from the British point of view, uh, Emily and... Emily Diamond ran incredibly well. And Rabbi Yusuf ran uh, superb. Like, they had massive season's best after doing two rounds of the, of the mixed relay. So, it, it, there's an opportunity there. And if it's used properly, uh, we as a British team should come away with medals and better performances later on.
0: And on the mixed relay itself, or kind of the concept of the idea, do you think mm-hmm. there's other aspects of athletics we can mix and kind of break down the, the, the gender barriers that we've had previously um i don't know like i think uh
1: it's an entertaining event so that's why that it, it works like people do actually tune in to watch it and people want to see different orders so it makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. um it's just very hard like there's obviously such an, uh, a difference between uh women's performance and men's performance um, maybe not for me so much because the women will kick my ass in a hundred at the moment. <laughs> um, but at the top end, like the top girls are running ten six, and the top men are running nine, seven, you know, you can't compete and shot put, there's a weight difference and there's a probably like a three meter difference. So um, there's not many events that can cross over. Unfortunately, yeah. I think um, I loved it in training when I used to watch Christian Taylor, who was Olympic triple jump champion and Shara Proctor, who's a, a world medalist from, London 20s, no, from Beijing 2015. Uh, they used to have this like Diamond League competition all the way through winter, yeah. and it'd be, it, it was just done on points and jumps and stuff. And it was, they had their own secret little rules about <laughs> it or whatever. But it was an amazing thing to watch, and you can have that. And I think uh, in a lot of the street meets in Germany, they have team events and they they bring fans in, they bring spectators in, and that's what we need to do.
0: Uh, and for that mixed relay itself, is that something the four of you kind of decided the order for, or do the coaches decide? Because I always found it interesting when you watched the lineup and some front loaded the event, didn't they? Others mixed yeah. it up. Um, I think we just, uh, the team had their ideas, like the staff, uh,
1: um, we kind of aligned quite well. I think uh, f- we understand that it's always on the strength of our women. Mm-hmm. Um, like the men pretty much all run 44 seconds, maybe 43. Slow 45, um, whereas the girls, they might have a girl who runs 48, and then another girl who runs 52 in the same relay, and that's yeah. so we've been very fortunate. We've got very strong women um, who can come in and run good splits, and I think that's why the medals will be there. Hopefully, um, the two guys who, who run in the relay will, if they can split 44 high, there's no reason we can't come away with a medal there. Um, but it's just yeah, it's just trusting the guys and. As long as they got trust between each other, I think we had a lot of trust in Doha, even, even with me like, not being the strongest runner, there was still a lot of trust in me to do a job. So, yeah, um, yeah I think that's, that's obviously massively important in team sports and it's probably not something that athletes really understand until they, they have to do it for, for the special events.
0: It's going to be strange, not because I'm so used to seeing you on that anchor leg for so many relays mm-hmm. and kind of. And obviously, you, you've been within the sport for years now, haven't you? I think it was at 18 you kind of properly broke into it, and it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a long old time. Um, what do we get? We'll miss you.
1: <laughs> ah, no, you won't. You won't. There'll be uh, some young, good looking, handsome people coming in to take my place. It'll be fine. <laughs> I think um, I, I really. Um, I really hope some of these guys go out and take this opportunity now. I think we haven't, um, like, it's not gone too well. The relays, I think they've done three relays that I haven't done and they haven't either finished or they've dropped the baton or something. So um, I'm kind of hoping that they this is the <laughs> chance they step up and they go, right, okay, this is the Olympic Games. We're going to get it right here. Um, and uh, there, there's some lovely guys on that team, lovely gentlemen. And, and the, girls, the girls squad is so powerful and they're all like, they're fierce competitors. So it is quite exciting to see. Uh, the relays at the moment
0: and well in that case, so we can just miss the sunglasses instead, would that be fair? yeah, you can miss the sunglasses yeah
1: <laughs> if uh any sunglasses companies want to send me some just for for keepsakes, then so that'd be great
0: <laughs> part of me almost expect you to wear them, but um I mean, <laughs> yeah. kind of the story behind this and it's. Uh, I quite actually enjoy the message it can give people that the the first part of the sunglasses was not in terms of fashion or anything else. It was more, you put them on because it was quite sunny. And actually, Mm. you then realised it gave you that little bit of confidence because you were struggling with that when you were younger. And then it just kind of grew from there and then became a bit of a superstition.
1: Yeah, like um, I think when uh, as a kid, kids who wore sunglasses, you kind of thought, I don't know if I could swear, but like, full kit wankers, basically. Yeah,
0: so whatever would be like?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so like, they kind of look a bit arrogant and a bit prattish, yeah. basically. Um, and it was something I'd always stayed away from, but I got to the World Juniors in Beijing and I couldn't see. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> oh, right. Um, and Adidas had given me a pair of sunglasses. Uh, they actually gave me two pairs. Um, and I, I had a gold pair that I'd never wore uh but it just made me feel a bit more arrogant a bit more yeah. focused on myself and like you know, look you deserve to be here and um i think if you wear sunglasses especially as a young athlete you have to kind of walk the walk uh, yeah so yeah it definitely helped me and yeah i've tried running without glasses since and it's just it's just different it's just a different feeling for me um i don't know it's just it, it was something that i got used to and i felt more relaxed I, Like my shoulders would drop i feel more at, at ease with myself when I was running. and um, Yeah, it was just one of those things that was hard to to break.
0: It, it's funny, isn't it? Because I suppose on the face of it, it seems so simple, but mm. and, and it's almost a facade that you're wearing these, but if it does and clearly did give you that little bit of confidence, I suppose it was a bit of a barrier to what was going on elsewhere as well. Do you know any other athletes that have things like that they've adopted that have kind of stuck with them?
1: Uh, I'm not sure, actually. I know uh, quite a few athletes do wear the glasses now, like... Uh, I wouldn't say I was the first 400 meter to do it. There's obviously lots of people. I think Jeremy Warner, uh, as that's, a as a young athlete, for me yeah, was yeah. obviously the he was the king. He was a, before Bolt. He was probably the biggest name in, in athletics uh, from the male side, anyway. And um, so he wore the glasses. And um, I don't really know anybody else. Like I think certain people. Like obviously you see Noah Lyles. He has like big flashy socks. Um, there's something that suits him. Headbands and stuff. Some guys wear them. And um, you see, certain uh, some of the female athletes wearing like it's like how the the makeup they use it as part of like water like um I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like war paint kind <laughs> war of thing, paint, but yeah. it's it's this about of like look I've put my my competition face on this yeah. is it um, and uh, yeah I, I I do like to see the the little kinks that people have that make them think this is what's going to make me run better uh, and it is interesting to see like how much of an impact it has when they can't do that so with all the sponsors for the Olympics certain people can't athletes can't wear the sponsored socks or something like that that they're used to wearing and it, it it kind of you see who's mentally who's got a bit of resilience about them
0: yeah Uh, and what about as well in terms of at the start of the race that pre-race routine because i'm Mm -hmm. always interested you get some that have got a set routine and others um, actually i've heard stories about people trying to knock blocks or spit in lanes or psychologically make lots of noise was there anything you experienced not really
1: like annika has got good stories about like people spitting in a lane and stuff like that and i remember doing blocks with annika before and it was quite intimidating like you're standing next to her and she's like making a bit of noise you're like shut up (laughs) honey but um you know like for me like the 400 you kind of have enough space Uh, i've been in call rooms where people have tried to tell me they're going to kill me or whatever like that so there's chat but it's just uh, like you can't do anything i'm in my lane like there's literally zero you can do to me um so i've always been quite relaxed about that situation uh pre-race i'm very relaxed i kind of i chat a bit in call room especially if i have people that i know like so kevin borlay was always someone i spoke to a lot um, uh, Rabba, myself and Rabba chat too much to be honest <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and Wade Van Niekerk, someone, like, to be honest everyone. That, there's only a couple of people who won't speak but most people, yeah. like like I found with Wade he loves to just have a little he needs someone to have a little conversation with him someone just to kind of help him switch, take the nerves out of him and it, yeah. to be honest it's not helped me because he goes out and destroys me in the race but um <laughs> It's, uh, I've, I'm just the person who kind of has to be relaxed, relaxed, relaxed until I get behind the blocks and then I'm like, that's the way I've worked. If I get too nervous too early, then I'm going to pay the price and I'll run 150 as fast as I can and I won't make it round to 400 meters. So um, it, there is people who try doing things, but for me, it's just about being as relaxed and enjoying the moment as best as possible.
0: I think I we'll have to go back to Annika about this because she's the only one that keeps mentioning about that it's affected her. So maybe it is just her. Maybe people should just spit in her lane. Nobody else. <laughs> <just her>. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, um, I, I've always, if someone spat in my lane, I'd, I'd
1: obviously purposely try to avoid it. But um, I don't know if it would affect me. To be honest, people gob yeah. all the time before the race, yeah. and um, I can imagine it's worse in the endurance events where they're like yeah. pushing stuff out, yeah, out of the definitely. nose.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what about you, you? You mentioned nerves briefly. There is that something you still go through, or does it literally depend on what the event is, or I suppose what the expectation or pressure for it is? I kind of miss the nerves. I don't get that nerves anymore,
1: and I think that was kind of when I realised I need to kind of uh, like I'm losing what made me good at this sport. Like I feel like yeah, um, maybe about three or four years ago, I was just turned up to the Diamond League, and so I was like this is a Diamond League. Uh, go to the World champion Europeans. I was. Um, I remember in my heat being quite relaxed and not running that well I wasn't that nervous at all before and then the semi-final I was really nervous I ran a massive season's best and I was like this is what I need I, I need I need to be nervous and uh, just to get that adrenaline pumping and um, it makes you feel alive Yeah, we're lucky yeah. to have there's a Glenn Hoddle um, quote I don't know if it's him first or whatever but he said uh, pressure is a privilege um, yeah. and uh, I've, I've used it in many a speech where it's just like but we're, we're honoured and lucky to, I'm honoured to be an athlete and lucky to have made a living for it from it and go and race and people pay to watch us race and run and represent your country at the championships, or Olympics or Europeans, whatever it is. We're very, very fortunate to have that pressure. Um, so enjoy that nerves. It's, it's just part of what makes you, uh, makes the whole event uh, as special as it is.
0: Oh, I really like that actually um, so how did you feel going into the GB trials this year then because obviously you knew the kind of form you were in did you feel any nerves for competing for that
1: yeah I was I was very nervous beforehand um, because it's the Olympics it's it's the only thing I've ever cared about it was like okay. um, the last three or four years was basically hanging on to go to Tokyo game, the Tokyo Games because Tokyo is a, it's a city that I've been obsessed with since I was a kid like anime cartoons and stuff it was just something that I was part of um, like I've got maybe not in this room, but there's anime pictures in, in some of the rooms and stuff. And it's just like going back to Japan was something. I was desperate to do, uh, so I was very nervous going into it. I knew I hadn't ran well, but I started things had started to click in training. I'd um, okay. Uh, it was a bit late. Like I feel like to be honest, like it, it kind of went to trials and it felt like it was my first race of the season. Okay. Um And that's one of the things I can when when I look back on the year, it was like, well, we didn't we were probably about two months behind where we need to be uh, in a month. I'd probably be <laughs> ready to go, but it, it doesn't matter. Athletics is about timing, getting the timing right. Um, and the guys who have been selected got their timing, right? They were in the right place at the right time and ran the
0: right, the right races when it mattered. Whereas um, yeah, I haven't. So, And obviously I watched you spoke to you in the straight after you did mm-hmm. a couple of other interviews and it was still quite raw then. So now you've had a bit of time to reflect. Um, what are you thinking going for? Because I'm right that your funding's finishing this year. Yeah. You've you've got your job at Loughborough. So what is the Mm. plan?
1: So our funding runs through to November. Um, That's always the way it's been. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll be supported until then, but I'll stay out of the way. You know, obviously people going to the Olympics is the priority for everybody. And for me, uh, so I, ha- I have always had a job, at, well not always, for the last three years I've worked at Loughborough College anyway. Uh, yeah. I've worked with the, the Youth Talent Programme, which is, so British Athletics, uh, it's at the bottom of their period, but pyramid basically. Yeah. And you basically, um, they do a, a diploma in sports and excellence, and I'm uh, one of the assessors for that. So I've done that for a couple of years and it's quite light work but you get to talk to athletes it's kind of nice to fit it around your training you have to do a bit of squad work but Loughborough College have been they've been brilliant they gave me the opportunity to get involved with that um, what I actually came, went back to study and they said uh, well what do you want to study for I said well, I need the piece of paper I'd say I've studied yeah. and they are like they don't here's a job and I took it uh, and it's, it's worked out quite well and now we have the Loughborough College uh, Athletics Academy Um where uh, it'll be focused on it's basically people doing their b tech or a levels mm-hmm. um but there's also level one to three courses so yep. maybe um like so quite a few of the paralympic athletes have gone through maybe where they didn't think they could ever get the a further education um they've been offered these opportunities where they can space out a course over maybe four, four or five years and Fantastic. they can learn at their own level and um, Loughborough College is brilliant for that. Uh, so finally, they've set up an athletics academy where my role, to cut a long story short, would just basically be the coordinator between being an athlete, studying, making sure they do everything in their studying. So to me, that's almost a priority at that age. Yeah. And then just filling in the gaps around like being a the lifestyle, the the mentoring thing where you can just talk to an athlete and have a conversation. Um, it's just little things that you can uh, you can really fill in and kind of guide athletes in the right way. I think, uh, for me, a lot of young athletes are um, quite entitled. Um, <laughs> quite They know it all. No one yeah. can teach them anything. Um, so I kind of want to catch them just before they get to that point right. and um, hopefully make them understand that like, they need to learn how to be coachable. They need to learn yeah. how to be uh, sociable, um, things that um, will make you a better athlete in, in the long run.
0: What I really like about that as well is um, there's a lot of athletes that when they kind of get to the end of their career, they go different directions. Some of them really struggle. They've almost Mm -hmm. had that loss of identity, haven't they? And you hear terrible examples of um, suicide rates, turning to drugs or addiction. But Mm -hmm. then there are others that try and give back in different ways. And I think it's a fantastic way of you giving back. You're doing something for you, but also something Mm -hmm. for them and investing in our future as a nation for future athletes as well. Yeah, uh, the opportunity uh that Loughborough College
1: has given me to to stay involved in the sport at a good level. Um it doesn't happen all the time and I'm, I'm very lucky. I think um it's, it was just something that uh, I've been very thankful for. Uh and um the belief they've they've put into me. Um uh, what well, like even for the first job I got you meant to have a university, you meant to have a degree and they're yeah, like no you don't need it. Like oh, so it was just like I was very fortunate that those guys kind of have backed me to go and do well. And hopefully I'll repay it with lots of young athletes, talented athletes coming through. Um, Obviously Loughborough has its own, Loughborough university has its own like history and everybody knows about it being the number one sports university in the world. Um, And the college has a great opportunity to kind of like bolster that. I think uh, a lot of universities around the country are doing an amazing job and really investing in sport. And, um, I think at Loughborough College we're kind of trying to fill that that gap, um, and um, I'd, I'd like to work with as many other academies and stuff around the country. I don't I don't think it's not. It obviously it would be competitive because it's athletics. You want the best athletes to come to you, and you want no, to support of them, but. I want academies to become a normal thing because I feel like it's in football, it's in the rugby academies, it's cricket. They, they, it's just a normal part of their sports. Whereas in athletics, it was kind of seen as, oh no, you can't do that. It's it's too too focused too early. Yeah. Um, and yes, I, to an extent, I agree. But that's like if I can find a way that you can produce more athletes that are going to have long careers. Like I, I've had a very long career. I don't expect people to last as a 15 years or whatever it is, but if you can get 10 years out of your athletics career that would be amazing, and if we can set them up properly from from 16
0: years, 18 years old then brilliant I, I tell you that, that pleases me on so many levels, um, one of them being I don't have a degree or anything like that. And I've been in a position similar to you, actually, where after I left the army, I was like, oh, I haven't got the bit of paper that says I can do this. Mm. And actually be taken on because they said, well, no, you've got this experience and you're the right sort of person. And I think yeah. that speaks – That sometimes that's what we need to do, isn't it? Instead of just saying, because you've studied something, actually, are you yeah. going to add the value? Are you an inspirer? Are you going know, to be the sort of person they can work towards?
1: I hope so. I, I think I see it a lot in performance sport that <laughs> – say from a therapy point of view like some people who are, who have hands you know people who can treat and they can they understand how the body moves but they don't have they they probably have they will they have to have the piece of paper for qualification like yeah. for licenses and insurance and stuff but they wouldn't be the guy that would write an essay that's amazing but they can do yeah. the job better than anybody else yes um and i think within performance sport we've realized that that we've had to have some mess up so we've brought people in who are just not capable they've got every doctorate and whatever under the sun but their hands are poor and um i think that's what i think in I, i'm very sounds like similar to you i think like if people can can do the job
0: then do they need that piece of paper to say it and something obviously spoke to about <clears throat> quite a few guests as well is that that transition from being at the, the high level to getting out I mean, you, as you say, have been very fortunate in the opportunity you had, but yeah. do you almost feel morally obliged to help other athletes post-Olympics and that, even be at advice and guidance and try and give them those opportunities? A hundred percent. I've just seen Christian Taylor's popped up on there. And like, it, when you have people
1: like him who's a role model for the sport, but he's set up an athletics association, which is there for the good of athletes. And to be honest, like, um, he's almost put his career on hold to set this thing up yeah (laughs) really annoyed me but anyway like (laughs) i think it's i've always found it like um there's not enough guys and girls who just hang on and encourage like just be a positive person for someone else to speak to um you and thomas for me was brilliant he's like before we had social media whatever he had my number and he just sent me a bit of abuse but it'd be like in the spirit of like look you just gotta go and do better or yeah uh, and he'd help me. He'd be very positive in the sense of, like, look, I took he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to pick up the no. phone to me and say, do you want to have a chat? And he's always been brilliant for me. And I, I feel like that's, that's our role, as, as especially as 400-meter runners, because it's, it is a hard event. If, uh, if you can't support the next generation coming through, uh, be honest with them and tell them, like, look, you need to do this better, like, accept that maybe the times they're running – aren't going to be world-class but if they're trying their hardest then you can just kind of help them through that um that's kind of part of our role and um i think um like, like i said I've, throughout this interview i said um it's passing passing on the baton, christian <laughs> <It's passing laughs> unless literally stealing on... his lines now yeah, I know. <laughs> It's it's like we we've been privileged to make a living from this sport, and I've travelled the world, and I've met my wife, and uh, I've got a house and stuff like that. You know, like from this sport, like so you have to give back, you have to pass on the knowledge and the expertise, and then hopefully someone else will have that that the uh, the just opportunities to live and do amazing things, and um, without the belief of someone before them, they might. Without the belief of the people around me from when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been become an yeah. Olympian. Lucky, fortunate to go to three Olympics. You know, like that's I only ever dreams of going to one. So to go to three, so without the support of those people beforehand,
0: I would never have got there. I couldn't agree more. It's the same reason why I've done various bits with veterans since leaving as well. For that exact mm-hmm. reason, you think I got something good from the career I had there, and I want to give back. Uh, and what I'm delighted with is a lot. of The athletes I do speak to are of the same mindset. And mm-hmm. then you obviously have you Donna Frazier's that all the way through her career still do it. Adam doing similar, obviously he's on the Athletics mm-hmm. Commission for the British Olympic Association. Yeah. I've got to say as well, having, cause you and about a month ago did his hundred miler, didn't he? They've been training yeah. for with Susie. I suspect he wouldn't say a 400 meter was hard anymore after doing that hundred miler. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> no, the amount of uh, videos he'd send me when he was training. Yes. And it just looked horrible. It's, but it's, yeah. it's the mindset. Like, how do you get through that? Yeah. How do you, feel, yeah. like, um, when you've been away from being an elite athlete for so long, like to tap back into that again and the competitiveness just keep going. and Yeah. Um, yeah, it was an amazing thing to see. Uh, and um, uh, like, I've got nothing but respect for the man. Like he, like I said, he was when I needed someone to kick me up the bum or someone to encourage me. He's always been that guy. So I'm, I'm very fortunate.
0: And... The last thing I did kind of say very briefly is just so for those that are interested in learning more about the academy your role now and these other opportunities, where's the best place for them to find it? Um, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I will put everything up. I've I've put up
1: a link for it on my Instagram. Um, You can go to Loughborough College uh, website. Um, It's uh, I I think I'm going to. Well, I was going to kind of wait till Gateshead to kind of do a big thing. <laughs> try and get as much publicity yeah. out there uh, as possible for it but it's just about uh, it's just coming on the Loughborough College Athletics uh, Academy website if you type it into Google it should pop up um please Google do it now um and from there I, I don't want to put my personal uh, my work email up because I think you, you can't trust that and I can't put it on social media but um from there you'll be able to get in contact from it, with me yeah. and look just even if people have questions about what they want to do like uh, I've had athletes who are actually very high standard, I've had guys who are literally just starting the sport like we can find a way to help you, we can find a way to facilitate your training and your studying and give you the best opportunity to either exceed in, uh, succeed in the sport and exceed your expectations or even just to be able to go and join a club and have uh, have some fun with it you know um, so that's that's what we're here for
0: What I'd like to do, Marty, if you're up for it as well, is um, post-Olympics, get um, a couple of others on with you at the same time. Um, Potentially one of the senior athletes, maybe one of the juniors, and we can kind of have a talk about it and see from their experience how that would have helped them going through, and potentially someone's had that experience as well, and hopefully that will help promote it at the same time. That would be brilliant. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, I think just getting... I've been
1: very fortunate. People have shared it, and um, I think that is the, the the one positive thing that you can get out of social media. Yeah. Um, if you need to get a good message out there, it's it's possible. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of hate that goes with it as well. But um, yeah, if you can learn to filter out, out the the negative stuff, it's a great. It can be a very useful tool.
0: Well, I've really enjoyed this evening. It's um, it's exactly as I'd hoped. It would be a really honest good. chat, but I've enjoyed it as well. So thank you. I'm really sorry about the, the over the fridge section of the of the conversation. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, thank you very much for your patience and the great questions. And um, I've seen loads of the comments coming up. So thank you very much to all the people out there. Uh, Andy Bell, thank you very much. I'll pay
0: you a fiver later. <laughs> a fiver, that is. Surely some of these deserve more than that. Well, he's in Canada. I'm sure a fiver goes a long way. <laughs> well, enjoy the rest of your evening and I'll, I'll catch you really soon. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. that concludes another interview for the day thank you to each and every one of you for listening and as ever if you have any feedback send it through to me at my instagram handle fighting underscore the underscore dad enjoy the rest of your day